Hi, this is Jason, lead pastor of Casper Alliance Church, and uh, we are working through our summer series on eternity, spending time talking about what happens after we die. Well, this week we have to talk about what happens if you don't believe in Jesus. Where do you go? And so we're going to spend some time talking about hell. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can check us out at casperchurch.com. We meet at 2000 Casper Street at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings in Casper, Wyoming. Have a great week. Thanks. So today, today for this series, we have to, um, we have to, um, we're going to talk about H-E double hockey sticks. Anybody knows what, what that means? So the first, ser- first Sunday that we started this series, we talked about uh, heaven is real. And then I spent a little bit of time on citizenship and how do you get into heaven. And we looked at the Nicodemus story and you must be born again and enter, enter, the, um, enter the kingdom of heaven. And then i uh, dealing a little bit with what happens when we die. And this is a continuation of what happens when we die. And last week, uh, I just, I don't have any sort of corrections, but I, I've, I've listened back and I'm like, you know, what happens when we die? <laughs> we go to paradise if you're in Christ Jesus. And if you read Revelation 20, like I just did, you'll realize that there's a lot of movement and resurrections. And um, and blessed are those who are a part of the first resurrection, those who are martyred for their faith, those who are are killed because they love Jesus, because they chose Jesus. That's a that's a wild passage. And, and then the next part of it actually reveals a little bit more about um, what's going on after we die if we're not with Christ, which is what we're going to deal with today. And that's we get to go to Hades. Um, I don't. But those who aren't in Christ go to Hades, which is interesting. When we read Revelation 20, we're like, that's different than hell. And so the first message, heaven is real. Second is, how do I get into heaven? How do we become part of that citizen? What happens when we die? This is kind of what happens when we die, part two, that heaven, hell is real also. Hell is a real place, and hell is, is awful. Hell is like, uh, like uh, well, who's been to that place on the way to Shoshone? Hell's half acre. And they put a fence around it, right? There's no fence around hell, real hell. But that, I kind of imagine like hell could look a lot like that. Just painful. Like if you were to trip and fall, you get stabbed a bunch of times and um, like hell is a bad place. So I, I will say hell a lot during this, during today. I just want you to know that. And if that's uncomfortable for you, um, you have to understand that hell's real. And so we are going to maybe address that in a little bit of a way. I, So I've read Revelation 20. We are going to be in Luke 16 uh, for a large chunk of today and then a little bit all over the place. And I want you, and this is what I said, I want you to not be scared of hell, but excited about heaven. Remember, how you believe about eternity determines how you live your life. When you are looking through the dashboard of life with eternity in mind, and heaven is on the mind, you will live differently. If you don't believe in either place, you will live so selfishly, so so self-centered, so I just want to consume and take on as much pleasure as I possibly can, which for the most part, anything that is pleasurable kind of feels like it's destruction at this point. Like, I, And so 
you have to get, uh, get this. It's not just about understanding heaven's real. Hell is real also. And you live with eternity in mind. And if you believe in hell, it should cause you to live with passion and excitement and actually the way in which we interact with one another. When you ask little kids, where does God live? Let's, let's ask this row. Where does God live, Archie? Heaven, where is that? Point to it. That's normal, right? Everybody kind of thinks that way. Heaven's up. If you say, where does the devil live? You, can you answer that one, Archie? Where does the devil live? He lives in hell. Where's hell? What's that? Most of the time we point down. <laughs> when we ask kids these things, they have locations in mind. And I think that that's important because there are physical locations where these places exist. The lake of fire hell exists right now. It's, wait, it's, a, it's like a holding tank waiting for those who aren't in Christ to be put into. Many people think that Satan lives there. That's where he lives. Satan's been released to, to, to run around this planet to try to tempt and disguise and to lie to all of us that actually the biggest lie is that heaven and hell aren't real. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan has. Because if, if you don't believe in those particular things and you're not going to submit to the authority of God and you're definitely gonna live in a way to where you're not scared or even fearful or even like even consider the like you could be punished for your activity here on earth. So Satan is the one that is actively trying to kill, steal, devour, and hurt us on this earth. He's got free reign right now at this particular point to tempt us, but he doesn't have authority over the heavens. He doesn't have authority over, over the spirit of God. He doesn't have authority to make you make a decision. It's just temptation, lie after lie after lie, so that you will submit to those lies and believe those lies. And so the question is, is why does hell even exist? If God's going to create this good earth, why does hell have to exist? Well, he's got to deal with, God, with Satan uh, justly. Satan deserves punishment for being a rebel. And there has to be some sort of consequence, some sort of judgment for that relationship to be finished. Your view on God and your view on the end determines a lot on how you live your life. But behind all evil is Satan. Behind all evil is Satan. And that has to be dealt with in a final way. When I read Revelation 20, one of the most fascinating things about Revelation 20 is that Satan's bound up and held captive for a thousand years and then released. Like, why can we just, why do we have to do that? Can we just skip that part and just like, let's just drop him into the lake of fire because he hasn't really caused a lot of help for any of us. But he's bound, controlled, managed, and you see what happens when evil's not allowed to tempt. There's prosperity. There's joy, there's love, there's the reign of God's people with Jesus on the planet and it, and it just continues to be the good thing that we read of in Eden. 
But the reason that hell exists and the reason that it has to exist is because ultimately Satan has to be dealt with in a righteous way, in the way in which God deals with those who sin. Secondarily, the reason hell exists is because God has to deal with all the unbelievers. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Picking up with verse 3. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and your love and you, the love each of one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecution and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you are also are suffering, since it, it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, this will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. When he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. And on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does hell exist? Because Satan needs to be dealt with and all those who are unbelievers have to be dealt with in a righteous and just way. This isn't about God not being loving. This is about God not, not caring about his creation. This isn't about, about God uh, like, like being um, mean or angry. This is about God dealing with those who punish the believers, those who reject or rebel against God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, those who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior of the earth, those who reject the good news of the gospel. Hell is a location where those who are rebelling against Jesus will end up eternally. Remember, when we die, our body falls apart. It turns to worm food. We turn to dust, from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But our soul lives on. And in that point, that whatever sort of life you lived, whether you submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior or you rejected it, you have a location by which your soul is going to uh, have a, a home. And those who reject Jesus, their home is hell. Go back to Luke 16. I know I flipped you away from there. Let's read this famous story from Jesus. Picking up at verse 19. The rich man and the other Lazarus. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. He was a Vikings fan, it seems. Feasting lavishly every day. But a 
poor man named Lazarus, who I'm assuming dressed in Honolulu blue, a Lions fan, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick the sores. So you, you, when the, you would have to go to a well to draw water. So water was a scarce resource. And so it didn't take a lot of water, by the way, to make bread. And so the way in which like rich people would wash their hands after their meal is they take some bread and they go like this. And from that, the crumbs would fall off their hands and onto the ground. And from that point, they would be allowed for the poor to come eat the crumbs off the, the ground or animals. It creates a natural hierarchy between the rich and the poor. And so Lazarus is there and he just wants some of the crumbs that are coming from the table from the man washing his hands with bread. But the dogs were getting it and the dogs were licking the sores and he was creating the picture of this is the poorest of the poor, the least of these. One day the poor man died and, carried away, and was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Because all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot neither, can, whoops, I'm sorry, cannot, neither can those from the cross, from there, cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You get the story of these two people, one who is submitted to the lordship of Christ. That's, that's the assumption here. This is what Jesus is teaching. And the other who has rejected that, the one who's, who lived the way that eternity is not in his mind. He's taken all the pleasure of the world and he is not submitted to the authority of, of Moses and the prophets. And he, and he is obviously punished. Now the location, which is interesting as Jesus said, is that they're in Hades. If you remember back to when I read Revelation, Revelation uh, re referenced that Hades will, the dead from Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hades and hell are different locations. Hades is that same, that squishy spot that happens well, when you are in Christ and you die. Your body dies and the soul goes to paradise. Today you'll be with, with me in paradise. There's these two locations and they're real places and the dead that are in Christ and the dead that aren't in Christ go to them and wait for the final judgment. Remember, what I believe about that happens when we die and you're in Christ, it is peace. It is shalom. It's the presence of God. It is comfort and it's joy. Those who die without Christ, it's the exact opposite of that. 
Luke and Jesus, as he's saying this, it's torment, it's hot, it's agony. Revelation 14, I'm not going to read it, gives you a description of what hell can look, what hell looks like. And there's a fancy word here that Jesus says, and he mentions it, I think, 11 times in, in when he's teaching, and it's uh, Gehenna. Gehenna is an actual physical location south, I think it's south of Jerusalem. It's a garbage pit. It's always on fire, and it stinks. It just burns. And so when Jesus talks, he mentions this particular location. Jeremiah, 2 Chronicles, Isaiah, all reference this location as a physical place. The Valley of Hinnon, Gehenna. This place where those who die without Christ go and are just tormented. It's a place that's just burning. Interesting, the Old Testament look at it as this place where they sacrifice children. That's where people go to sacrifice children. The most evil of evil things are done there. It's a garbage dump. There's nothing peaceful about it. Imagine um, maggots and that smell. It's awful. It's painful. Burning flesh. The smell makes you sick. This location that's talked about by Jesus, Gehenna, this valley of Hinnon, is outside of Jerusalem. It's outside of the city. There's a, an emotional connection to that. You're not part of us. You're out of the city. Now, Luke's gospel is written in a way to anybody who's already out of the club, and he's actually writ writing in a way to invite them into the family. It's written as an evangelical witness to those who are, on the, are outsiders to be welcomed in. And so when he writes this, when he's capturing Jesus' words, he's writing it in a way to say, there is hope for you to be part of the community of God's people, to be part of heaven. This is a physical location on this planet, the Valley of Hinnon. And this is what Jesus refers to Hades like, a horrible, horrible place. But I think there's four things that we can take before um, we kind of like wrap up that hell is real. And I, I kind of knew that this would be a short message today because how many things can you say about it? I've already said the big reveal. If you're, out of, if you're not with Christ, this is your eternal spot. And that stinks. Four takeaways that from this gospel presentation of the rich man and Lazarus, the Vikings fan and the Lions fan. I'm just saying based on clothing alone. First of all, in Hades, they're fully conscious and awake. You don't cease to exist. You don't stop thinking. You don't stop seeing. You don't stop recognizing. So there's an understanding and awareness that you're not in a good spot. See, when we say absent from the body, present with the Lord, or absent from the body, present in Hades, we are fully aware of where we are. The rich man could see the blessing. He could see what was going on. He understood his torment and his pain and recognized it and didn't want to be there. There is a consciousness that's happening. You're not unconscious. when you, The moment after you die, if you're not in Christ, you understand that you screwed up and you made a mistake. You don't get a do-over. You are immediately aware. Number two, the rich man's eternal destiny was irreversible. You couldn't, he couldn't come back. He's like, just let me, I, I made a mistake, let me go. Let me, give me some, 
give me some water to cool this pain. Nope. There's a great chasm between the two of us. The ones who are over here can't go back over there, and the ones who are over there can't come over here. It's separation. Separate. The rich man, number three, the rich man knew his suffering was fair. You didn't hear being like, oh, this is not fair. I don't belong here. Look at all that I did. His immediate response was, please, this is the fourth thing we can learn, please, someone go tell my brothers that they need to know Jesus, that they need to understand the reality of what happens when we die, the reality of hell. They need to know what this looks like. They need to know what this feels like. They, please, someone go tell them. So hear this again. He knew that he belonged where he, be, where he was. He understood that his life and the, the separation that he had from Jesus put him in this place. It's not gonna be, woe is me, this is so unfair. God, you're so unloving. You will acknowledge and understand that your life and your choices and the way in which you lived and what you chose to submit to puts you where your eternal home is. There's not gonna be any sort of secret about it. I find it fascinating that he's like, Abraham, go send somebody to tell my brothers. I need them to not be here with me. They need to know that this place is awful. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. The devil, Satan, will convince you for the rest of your life that there is no heaven, there is no hell, that your life, your life that you have now is all you get. You will have a YOLO mentality. The, Satan will, will try to convince you of that. Behind all evil, Satan, Satan's lies are there. Here's what's scary to me. Believers tend to lean, start to lean this way. What's it all for? Why am I doing this? This is so exhausting. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm broken. I can't stand this. This is not worth it. They'll start to ask the question, why would God, who's so loving and kind and generous and gracious, the church says, send really good people to hell? Why would, and you start to entertain that sort of question, and I'm not saying not to, I'm saying that doubt can lead to a strong faith, but when Satan's behind those lies, he's, there is a push to make you not believe in it. And I want you to know, hell is real. Hell is real. And I, I need you to hear this as I wrap this up. But God has a solution, and he's provided a solution. Our eternal resting place has a solution, and that's Jesus. So just as God is just, and he's holy, and he punishes those and cast those who do not believe, who have not submitted to his son Jesus into, the, into Hades and the lake of fire, ultimately at eternity. He also is loving and kind. And he says this, for God so loved the world that I send my son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. He says this, for the wages of sin is death, but my gift to you, my gift, God says, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's punishment or condemnation. Jesus' death on the cross was a solution. His resurrection was the answer to death. So we, by submitting to the Lordship and to Jesus' salvation, we satisfy our eternal resting place. I don't want you to go away being scared of hell. I want you to be excited for heaven. But I also want you to know that heaven and hell are both real places. Satisfying God's justice is what happens when those who aren't in him are sent to Hades, sent to hell. Remember, the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy you. The enemy of the cross comes to remind you that those things aren't real and YOLO your life. When we live in the light of eternity, when we live in a way in which um, we understand through our dashboard that heaven is real, we are concerned by those around us. We are concerned by the people in our lives. We, we don't want others to experience what we know is true in hell. We want them to experience what we know is true in heaven. Many times we uh, pretend and do this, put the blinders on and just try to ignore the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, and just try to live our life. I wanna say to us, church, that's not a luxury that we should have. People are dying daily and they need to know that there is a solution to hell, and that's Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And I don't want us as a church to just try to avoid hell. I want us as a church family to thrive living as though heaven is on our mind. Evil will try to find its way into every one of our conversations. Satan will distract us from the reality of Christ's solution on the cross. Heaven and hell are both real. When, when I die, if I'm under Christ, I go to paradise. When I die, if I'm not under Christ, I go to Hades. And I wait to be thrown into the lake of fire. Next week, when we talk about heaven, heaven, the new creation, new earth, so watch the stair step that we've gone here. What does it look like, the final judgment, to where God says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, my people. See, it's not just about satisfying our death. It's about living with eternity in mind so that it motivates our activity. It causes us to be generous. It causes us to be loving. It causes us to be forgiving. It causes us to be passionate about lost people knowing Christ. It causes us to not yell at our brother and sister as quickly. <laughs>